0: Support for Kansas City Today comes from
1: Grandma's Office Catering. One bank teller instead of the usual five. Slow, fast food lines. Simply not enough staff. Grandma's Office Catering avoided the mass exodus with respect, appreciation, better wages, and now health insurance. That's how Grandma continues to wow. Grandmascatering.com.
0: This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Nujia dean Today is Friday, March 11th. Coming up, fed up with harassment, a group of Kansas City women created a new type of community in the 1990s.
2: So then we just started imagining, what if we could just walk hand in hand freely down the streets, a bunch of lesbians all in this neighborhood? Plus, in increasingly dry southwest
0: Kansas, replacing some crops with cotton could help farmers conserve water and weather drought. But for those who've grown grain for generations, planting an unfamiliar crop can feel like a big risk. We'll hear from some people working to turn southwest Kansas into cotton country. But first, some headlines. The Missouri Senate passed a bill yesterday that would increase Kansas City's minimum funding requirement for its police department, KCUR's Salisa Kolakal reports.
2: Introduced by Republican State Senator Tony Lutkemeyer, who represents Buchanan and Platte counties, the bill would require Kansas City to allocate no less than 25 percent of its general revenue to the KCPD. Right now, state law requires that the city spend 20 percent of its general fund on the department. The bill was filed in response to the city council's attempt last year to reallocate about $42 million of the KCPD's budget. Kansas City recently proposed a $269 million budget for the KCPD for the coming fiscal year, far higher than is required by state law. Luke bill now moves to the Missouri House.
0: Planned Parenthood is suing Missouri health officials over a ban on the health care provider receiving payments through the state's Medicaid program. Sarah Fenton reports the Republican-led legislature passed a budget that does not permit Medicaid payments to the state's 11 Planned Parenthood clinics. Planned Parenthood's lawyers say it violates state law to prevent patients from choosing their own health care provider. The state Supreme Court in 2020 found an almost identical Missouri budget measure unconstitutional. A Missouri judge then ruled the state's refusal to reimburse Planned Parenthood for its care of patients was an example of lawmakers using a budget to create policy. Bonnie Lee Gilmore is vice president for Planned Parenthood, St. Louis region and southwest Missouri. We're right back to where we started and we already know how this will
1: end. Taxpayers are going to foot the bill for a few politicians.
0: Lee Gilmore says Missouri is one of several states that have pulled Medicaid funding from Planned Parenthood. And the Missouri Department of Conservation says an American white pelican near Kansas City has contracted the avian flu, a virus deadly to birds. Several wild birds in the state have tested positive for the disease, which rarely infects humans or other animals. It was first detected in Missouri in a commercial poultry flock last week. It's been found in Kansas, Iowa and the Dakotas and has spread across the eastern U.S., threatening poultry production and wild bird populations. Back in the 1990s, a group of queer Kansas City women were fed up with harassment and housing discrimination. So they transformed 12 city blocks in the Longfellow neighborhood into a radical enclave by and for women. KCUR's Suzanne Hogan tells this story from the podcast, A People's History of Kansas City. Womantown provided more than just a place to live. It was a social outlet,
1: a safety network. And a self-sufficient community where women didn't have to rely on men for anything. I mean, to me, the coolest part about it is that a group of women decided they were going to do something and they did it. Sandy Woodson is the producer of a new Kansas City PBS documentary called Woman Town, premiering on March 17th. During the pandemic, she traveled the country collecting stories and memories from the women who built a community in Midtown Kansas City in the 90s. Woodson says the seed of the idea was initially formed at underground music festivals in the 80s. They said when we went there, we saw what it was like if women were in charge
2: of everything. They were the musicians, they built the stages, they did the crews, women were empowered. So then we just started imagining What if we could just walk hand in hand, freely, down the streets, a bunch of lesbians, all in this neighborhood?
1: It's interesting, in the documentary it mentions this, and I I thought about it too, how unique it was to have an intentional community like this in a city. Yeah, that's one of the things I learned. So the only option at that time that most women knew about were these rural lesbian communities where women would band together, buy 40 acres out in the woods somewhere, and then start building a community. We definitely saw a reason to have it in a city because there was jobs available, homes already built. Like, how many people came in from how wide-ranging of a geographic region, are we saying? Well, they had uh, women from Hawaii. From New York, from California. Wisconsin. From the South. They say at its height there were um, 80 lesbians living in that area. The fact that so many of these women just heard about it, came and visited one time and then bought a house, I mean, it had to have been pretty impressive.
2: They had a a meeting first where they gave the information, and of course, lesbians, it was a potluck.
1: (laughs) So a lot of the women who were moving into these houses maybe didn't have experience doing some of the work to keep them up. Um, How much of a community effort was that? A lot of community effort. I think in most cases, any time a woman moved into a house, um, it probably needed work. They're basically gutting these places and starting them over. At the end of the documentary, there's this really beautiful scene from the present day where a lot of former Town residents are hanging out and laughing around a table, and they seem to be really comfortable around one another. I'm wondering, is everyone still friends, and do they see each other that often? For a lot of them, that was the first time they'd seen each other in, you know, 20 years or something. So, yeah, we wanted to do a potluck since they talked about potlucks all the time. Well, they start breaking out into song. What's yeah. the story behind this song? Yeah, well, they start talking about the women who are no longer alive. And Jean, Jean Green, Bev Powell. Literally, I missed Bev by weeks. I mean, I met Sue. I was supposed to meet Bev. Next thing we know, she died of COVID. And then Drea said, you know, she was talking about how, you know, these are women that really impacted our lives. You know, Martha, do you have a song we could sing? And that's when Martha came up with that song. And um, yeah, I loved it. Like a ship in the harbor, like a mother and child,
2: like a light in the dark.
0: Woman Town premieres on Kansas City PBS March 17th. To hear more of this story, subscribe to KCUR's Studios' podcast, A People's History of Kansas City. Cotton growing only accounts for a small fraction of Kansas farm production, but a combination of global warming, dwindling water, and new infrastructure might set the stage for southwest Kansas to become cotton country. David Kondos of the Kansas News Service reports.
2: At the Northwest Cotton Growers Co-op in Moscow, Michael Kutchen's prize open a small door on the side of a giant metal box. Inside, sunlight glistens off hundreds of spikes. So all them spike cylinders, we're turning them approximately 1200 RPMs. And that's what we're using to bust all this up with. For the crops that show up at the only cotton gin in western Kansas, this machine is just the first stop.
0: So after we leave the gin stand, our in the CBG next
2: room, a towering to maze water. of industrial dryers and saw blades tear, heat, and clean the cotton until only white lint remains. Our lint with a snaking network here. of vacuum-powered tubes, washing cotton straight. from one machine to the next, oh, the entire ginning process takes less than a minute. When everything's running like it should, it's the pretty part to sit back and watch. Cotton farming in Kansas goes back more than a hundred years. But in a state better known for wheat, corn, and milo, it's been a challenge for this fluffy fiber to break into the mainstream. The gin in Moscow is one of only four in the whole state. There are, however, plenty of reasons why cotton may be a good match for a place like southwest Kansas. It could help farmers conserve water, weather drought, adapt to climate change, and with the arrival of more infrastructure to help farmers grow it here, cotton's time in Kansas might finally be now. Cotton is king. But there was a day when few people believed that cotton would have as many uses as it does in today's world. As this 1950's video from General Motors points out, cotton shows up in everything from diapers to dollar bills. All over the world. And the U.S. cotton industry now generates more than $20 billion a year. So why hasn't cotton been booming in Kansas all along? One reason is cotton plants need heat. Lots of it. That's why it's traditionally grown south of here. But as climate change brings warmer, drier seasons to Kansas, cotton's growing range could continue inching north. Here's Kansas State University water resource engineer Jonathan Aguilar. You might
0: think about drought as going to be devastating, but actually it may improve the production of cotton here.
2: At his research plots in Garden City, Aguilar has found that watering cotton too much can actually stunt its growth. Other K-State research shows that just one inch of irrigation can give cotton harvest the same type of boost that corn would get from several inches. That's a big deal in Southwest Kansas, which depends on disappearing water supplies for irrigation. Still, for farmers who have grown grain for generations, planting this unfamiliar crop can feel like a big risk. And Jennifer Hewitt with the Moscow Cotton Gin doesn't blame them.
0: It's not this, oh, let's throw some seed in the ground. You're gonna spend hundreds and thousands of dollars to try something new, and it's
2: extremely scary. She plans to hold pop-up meetings around the state this year to help more producers get familiar with cotton. But she knows that changing the culture among farmers here will take time, maybe even generations.
0: It seems like the number one reason we hear is, well, grandpa says no. (laughs) But as the younger generation kind of takes over and starts realizing they need other options, I think it'll become more and more popular. And that's why we've built what we've built. this is the module feeder
2: in the building next door hewitt points out the old cotton gin that they retired three years ago a
0: lot smaller
2: that's when the co-op spent around 13 million dollars on upgrades another co-op just opened a multi-million dollar cotton warehouse near wichita this past fall so how big is the impact of all this development on nearby cotton farmers uh absolutely huge (laughs) andy Mosier has grown cotton southwest of moscow for the past five years When he started, it might have taken five months to get his crop processed, which meant he had to wait five months after harvest to get paid. This season, it only took a couple of weeks. And with cotton prices higher than they've been in a decade, Mosher says the chance he took planting it again this year is paying off. The old guys just want to grow corn or just want to grow milo or grow what they're used to. And young guys, sometimes we got to take some risks. But as the cotton industry gets more established in Kansas, planting it in the future might not be as much of a risk as it used to be. For the Kansas News Service, I'm David Kondos in Moscow.
0: KCUR's Kansas News Service reports on health, the many factors that influence it, and their connection to public policy. Find more at ksnewsservice.org. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Nugia-Dean. This podcast is produced by Byron Love and KCUR Studios and edited by Lisa Rodriguez and Gabe Rosenberg. To read David's story about cotton farming in Kansas, visit kcur.org, where you can find more stories about Kansas and Missouri from Kansas City's NPR station. On Monday, we'll take a look at two bills in the Missouri legislature that could impact funding for public schools. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next week.